Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. The next step in the Spirit will not be a difficult step. It will not be a hard place to find. It will be an easy step. As we seek his face and stay in his presence, it will be as natural as anything in this natural world is. So it won't be difficult. It won't be strange. And it won't be hard. We'll step into it easily as we continue to stay in his presence. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 5 again. Let's look at this scripture we looked at this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Did you get anything out of the service this morning? Hallelujah. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Well, we know we are the house of the Lord. Isn't that right? Amen. The New Testament says we are. Amen. Hebrews chapter, the whose house you are, it says, so that the priests could not continue to minister. Literally, it says they could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I think it would be good to go back and give a little bit more context in the Old Testament of the glory of the Lord. And there's too many scriptures to read tonight. I mean, we could read them, but it would take a long time. So we're just going to pick out a few uh, scriptures, just kind of start, you know. Go with me over to uh, Exodus, the 16th chapter. Exodus 16. Hallelujah. Verse number six says, Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. You know, the Lord hears everything. Amen. He said, You shall see the glory of the Lord. Verse 10 says, it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked, behold, the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And then uh, go over to the 29th chapter, Exodus 29. You notice that the glory didn't always appear in the tabernacle. Sometimes it appeared outside the tabernacle. Most of the time it appeared in connection with the tabernacle and the temple, but not every time. The 29th chapter, 
in verse number 43. Hallelujah. 29, verse 43. And I will meet, and, I, and, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Hallelujah. And then go over to the 40th chapter, still in Exodus, Exodus chapter 40. And let's look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, that sounds a lot like what happened at the dedication of the temple, doesn't it? Going over to the book of Leviticus, like I said, we won't go very far into these, just take a few highlights. In Leviticus chapter nine, Verse number four, he's giving instructions about the different sacrifices. He says, take a bull and a ram as a peace offering, a sacrifice before the Lord. See, we offer up spiritual sacrifices today, but they offered these natural sacrifices, a grain offering mixed with oil. For today, the Lord will appear to you. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses says, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. And then going over to verse number 22, it says, then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering and the peace offerings And Moses and Aaron went up into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Well, sometimes that happens. We could go through the book of Numbers and we could look at the different times uh, the glory appeared. We can go into First Kings, Second Chronicles, the book of Psalms, Isaiah, multiple places, Ezekiel, multiple places. And we see over and over again that the glory of the Lord appeared. Often it appeared in the clouds. Sometimes it appeared as fire. Go over with me to the New Testament. Let's look at some New Testament examples. Go to Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> so you'll see this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Matthew 17, verse number one, it says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them, and Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Another account of this said he didn't know what to say. (laughs) He didn't know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, you know, that's the way it is a lot of times, isn't it? (laughs) 
While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Go, over on, over on, go on over to Luke, the ninth chapter. I want to read this account of the transfiguration. Luke chapter 9. And let's look at verse number 28. Now, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Going over to Luke, I mean, uh, excuse me, we're in Luke, going over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. This is the account of Stephen and his preaching. He was accused, you know, of trying to change the traditions of the fathers, the chief priest said, are these things so? Chapter seven, verse one, he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. He is the God of glory. Our God is the God of glory. Amen. And then it goes on and gives the rest of his message Verse 54, going over to verse 54, chapter seven. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then going over to chapter nine, Acts chapter nine, and this is, of course, the story of Saul, later became Paul, on the road to Damascus and how the, the Lord appeared to him. In verse number three, this is 9-3, it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he heard a voice and so forth. We won't read all of that there. Going over to the 22nd chapter of Acts, and here Paul is telling this story that we just started reading about. He's telling it again. In verse number six, it says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven 
shone round about me. In the 26th chapter, we won't go there, but in the 26th chapter, uh, it says that this light was brighter than the noonday sun, this light that shone around him. And it says in verse seven that I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him that spoke. And so I said, Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. Now notice verse 11. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I, I came to Damascus. Then a certain, an, a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, we can read all about this in the, in the ninth chapter of Acts, having a good testimony with all the Jews who, who, were dwelt, who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that hour, I looked up at him. Notice it says that there was a bright light and that he could not see because of the glory of that light. It's, uh, it's amazing to me that people don't read their Bibles any better than they do. But a lot of people uh, talk about Saul, you know, on the road to Damascus that he, was, that he was blinded and he couldn't see. And then they later said that the rest of his life he had problems with his eyesight and that he had some kind of mysterious disease that uh, affected his, his eyesight and it began to snow. No, it says he could not see for the glory of that light. He wasn't, he wasn't blinded by sickness. He was blinded by the glory of God. Amen. Amen. And when Ananias came in and laid hands on him, he could see again. His vision returned. I tell you what, we, there's some things to experience in the glory of God. We read this morning in, in Romans chapter six, that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And we also found out that that was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I I said this morning, we haven't uh, seen as much as we can see. We've seen seen a few things. We've seen a a little bit. But there's so much more that God wants to do among us and that he's poised to do, he's ready to do. And uh, we talked this morning about some things that, that we can do to bring his glory into manifestation. We offer up, we're a spiritual sacrifice. We are the house of God. We're being built up a spiritual house. And as living stones and as a holy priesthood, we offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. We found out that Jesus is is the foundation for our being accepted with the Lord and it's the foundation for our praise and worship. Everything we offer up is acceptable because of Jesus Christ. We also found out it's acceptable when it's offered up in one accord. Amen. And uh, in one accord, I didn't read this this morning. I've read it before, but I'll read it again. The Lord gave me this. He said, being in unity or in one accord, this is what the Lord said to me, being in unity or in one accord in the local church is more than simply not being in strife or not being offended. 
Unity is not defined by the absence of certain negative or divisive things. The condition of being in one accord is not passive. It is much more deliberate and proactive. Being in one accord in the spirit is defined by the presence of certain unifying graces. Reverence for God, worship, hunger for God, receptiveness, yieldedness, and submission to God. One accord, being in one accord, is built upon a shared pursuit of the presence of God and the will of God, including the vision of the local church. Being in one accord is about no longer being concerned about what we don't agree on, but instead, because of these unifying graces, choosing to focus on the things that are important. Amen. Being in one accord is not the result of the absence of negative things. It's, it's the result of these unifying graces that God is working among us. And uh, worship, hunger, receptiveness, yieldedness, submission, so forth. And uh, there's, there's a lot he wants to do. And like I said a few minutes ago by the Spirit, it's not gonna be a difficult thing. It's gonna be an easy thing for us to make the transition from where we are to where the Lord wants to take us and that next step that he wants to take us to, that next place or plateau or whatever you wanna call it, uh, it it's not gonna be a difficult thing. It's gonna be an easy thing. It's gonna be, it's gonna be as natural as going from A to B or from one to two. It's just a, 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 a natural progression. And it's gonna to come to pass as we stay in his presence and just, and just remain single-minded on God, your will first. Your will be done. Your, have your way, Lord. And we're here to worship him and, 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 to, and to glorify him because it's his house. Remember I talked about how happy my wife and I are to be in our new house because we, we built it. I mean, we didn't do it, but we hired somebody to build it, but we were there in the process and, and it was kind of an eye-opening experience to us because we, we had the, the experience of, of seeing it come together. Well, God has the experience of building this house and we're that house and he's building us and now that, that my wife and, and my house, it, it, now that it's completed, we enjoy it because we're supposed to. It was built for us. It wasn't built for you. It was built for us. And, and it, just, it just illustrated to me how God is putting his temple together, how God is building his temple so, so it'll be a place where he can dwell and he can be pleased. The reason God is pleased to dwell among us as we praise him and worship him in one accord isn't because he's egotistical and he just likes a lot of people worshiping him. It's because when we worship him, that's when he can demonstrate his glory, demonstrate himself. And when God's glory is in demonstration, when God's power is in demonstration, we are the benefactors. Not God, we're the ones who profit. God, because of his 
heart of love, because of his gracious heart, where the Bible says he's rich in mercy and he loves to show mercy, he wants us to come to a place where we entertain his presence to the point that he can be merciful without any restraint. He can just do things in people's lives that can't be done any... I'm telling you, there are things in your life that will never be done outside of the glory of God. Because there are things you don't even know to pray about. And if you didn't know what to pray about, you don't know how to pray about it. And there are things that are beyond our ability and even beyond our comprehension that God wants to do, and I'm gonna say it again, there are, listen, the Bible, there are a lot of promises in the Bible. We can have every promise in the Bible and we have them by faith. We can go after them and we don't have to have a prayer partner. We can just believe God on our own and, and receive every promise of God. But there are some things that, that God can do that we will never touch that way. Just by the word, because they're, they're, they're not revealed. And there's some things God can do in you that are just never gonna happen unless you are experiencing his glory. That's why it's so important, and this is, I'm not trying to get off topic here, I'm not trying to, to make another point, but this just comes up. The reason it's so important to be in church when God calls us together, it's important to be here because things can happen on a, in a service that can absolutely change your life and it can happen like that. Amen. And in things that you would never ask for, you would never pray about, God will just work in your life and clear some things up, solve some issues, some problems, straighten something and he can do it in a flash. I'm telling you, there are things in the glory of God. Oh, hallelujah. And that's, that's why he wants, that's why he wants to be allowed to be himself is so that he can do some things. Whew, glory. Mm, I like that. I like that. Amen. Now, there's, I talked about this morning that there are other things besides Jesus that make our sacrifices acceptable. We found out that, that uh, worship, praise and worship, when they're offered, when these sacrifices are offered in one accord, that makes them acceptable. Turn, you're here, and I think our last scripture was Romans. Go over to uh, the 12th chapter of Romans. Glory to God. The 12th chapter of Romans. Here's something else that makes our, our sacrifices acceptable. Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now this isn't just talking about our, the praise in Hebrews, it talks about the sacrifices of praise being the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. This is something different here. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service. Now, the word service there is used in the sense of spiritual service or worship. Your, your spiritual service, your spiritual worship. And many translations of, uh, of this verse will say your rational worship. Presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Ex- this is acceptable to God. And presenting your body a living sacrifice, holy, is our rational and reasonable worship. How we live and living holy and living with our bodies submitted to him is worship. And it makes, and it makes our worship acceptable. It's acceptable to him, it says. This is something not many Christians know much about. Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. The Bible says that we have been bought with a price. Spirit, soul, and body, we belong to the Lord. And all of us know that the spiritual side is the easy side. The mental side is fairly easy, but oh boy, that flesh. (laughs) The body, that trips us up sometimes. And we're not supposed to let it trip us up. We're supposed to be growing to the place that it doesn't trip us up like it used to. That we're getting better and better at living a holy, separated life unto God. And it, and it makes a difference if you will begin the day just by saying, now Lord, I submit my body to you today as a living sacrifice holy to you. If you'll start your day off that way and dedicate your flesh when you you feel the least like it, like you do in the morning sometimes, when your flesh is is screaming out, it wants its own thing, you know, and, 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 you know, you've got to, you know, you have to just pull yourself up and make yourself get started and go to work and do those things. The flesh resists all of those things. That's a good time to say, Lord, I'm, I am presenting my body to you today as a living sacrifice, holy, glory to God. Now, he talks about this some more over in Romans chapter six. Go back to chapter six. <clears throat> Verse number five says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now notice verse number six, knowing this, this is something you have to get settled on the inside of you. Knowing this, that our old man 
was crucified with Christ. He was crucified with him. Let's talk about Christ. Now the old man is the old man that was dead in trespasses and sin. The old man that you were. That old man with all of its sins, with all of its transgressions, with all of its past, when you received the Lord Jesus Christ, that old man was nailed to the cross in Christ. When you, when you, when you came into Christ, you came into his whole history. You became a partaker of his whole history and his existence today. You were crucified with him. You were buried with him. You were made alive with him. You were raised up with him. You ascended with him and you sat down with him. That's, the, that's what happened to the old man. But here he's talking about the old man was crucified with him. Now here's the reason. That the body of sin, the body of sin, that's talking about your physical body and it's talking about the sin nature that's in the body. In your, now in your spirit, you don't have a sin nature. You had a sin nature, but when you were born again, that old man died and you became a new creature in Christ and there's no sin nature in the new man. You don't have two natures. You don't have an old nature and a new nature. You're, you're a new man in Christ and, you, and you're created in his likeness and his image and you have his nature in you. But the body is still the body of sin. Because the body hasn't changed. When you get born again, your spirit gets changed, but you have to do something with your mind. He talks about that in the second verse in Romans chapter 12. We didn't go there. Be renewed, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to do something with your mind. You have to do something with your body because they don't get changed in the new birth. You do something with your mind by getting into the Bible and reprogramming this mind to think in line with the word of God. And then you do something with your body. He calls it here the body of sin. This is talking about the sin nature of the flesh. Your flesh still, still has, has a, a, a sin nature. Have you noticed that? Your body still has a sin. Now, you're the, that sin nature is not in your heart. It's not in your spirit, but it's in your flesh. But notice he says that our old man, our, the inward man, was crucified with him so that the sin nature of the flesh, now, in the King James, it says, might be done away with. That's misleading. And it, and it really obscures what he's talking about. Done away with means to be to rendered to be rendered powerless. That the sin nature of the flesh might be rendered powerless. You say, well, it doesn't feel like it is. It feels like the sin nature of the flesh is still fully empowered. That's where you have to start renewing your mind. You start renewing your because if God said it. It's true whether you experience it or feel like it or not. The sin nature of the flesh has been rendered powerless or inoperative. Well, that, you know, Pastor, I, I don't know about that. 
Another word that would, that would aptly uh, translate this done away with is the word dethroned. Dethroned. The sin nature, I'm gonna give you some good, good news tonight, some really good news, some liberating news. That sin nature that's in your flesh, it's there. Here's the good news, it's been dethroned. It's been dethroned. Oh, it's there all right, but it's no longer has the right to govern you or control you. It's been dethroned. It's been rendered inoperative. It's been rendered powerless if you know it. If you know it. If you know it and you act on it, it will not take you over. It will not dominate you or control you if you know that it's been rendered powerless. But you have to know it. You have to have to have to have your mind renewed and you have to agree with this scripture. You have to agree with what God said about your sin nature. If you don't agree with it, it will hold you in bondage. It will continue to dominate you and it will still stay seated, enthroned over you. But when you realize that Jesus recreated you and liberated, he goes on to say in this chapter, I don't know, four times maybe, three or four times at least. Let me find chapter six again. Look at verse number seven. Well, let's, let's continue reading verse six and we'll get to seven. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the sin nature of the flesh might be rendered powerless or inoperative because it's been dethroned that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That's good news. When, that's, when, when your flesh rises up and tries to trip you up and that sin nature tries to assert itself, Remind, remind yourself and remind your flesh, I died with Christ and I've been freed from sin. I'm free. I'm free. The Bible just won't stay over here. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Well, before I, before I read that, go on down to verse number 18. And having been set free from sin. See, verse seven says, he who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 18 says, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 22 says, and now having been set free from sin and become, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to wholeness and in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So we have these three times here where it says you have been freed from sin. If you've been freed from it, then it can't dominate you. And it can't dominate you because it's, the sin nature has been dethroned. Oh, it's still in the flesh if you entertain it. But if you don't entertain it, it's been dethroned. It'll stay submitted to you if you don't entertain it. 
The way you don't entertain it is you present your body to God every day as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Now, verse number nine. Well, let's start in verse number eight. That's where we left off. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Let's talk about in the resurrection. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. Now here's the, here's the, the thing you need to really get a hold of. Likewise, you also reckon or consider or count yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is what happened to you. When you died with Christ, you died to sin. The, the inward man died the death of the cross and died to sin, and you were raised to new life in Christ. And because of that, the, the sin nature of the flesh is no longer in control. Paul talks about it in, in Ephesians about uh, uh, in times past that we conducted ourselves in, in such and such a way being alienated from the life of God and, and so forth and how we conducted ourselves uh, when we were in bondage to those things. Well, we're not in bondage to those things anymore. You're not in bondage to it unless you yield to it. If you yield to it, he goes on to say in this chapter that, that whatever you, in uh, verse number 15, shall we, shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You can, you can obey the flesh and it'll bring you into bondage. But you can also deny the flesh. You can I said, you can, you can deny the flesh. Why? Because it's been dethroned. God said it was. God said your flesh, the sin nature of the flesh was dethroned. It's been, it's been rendered powerless to control you. And so if you believe that and act on that, How do you do that? You reckon yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't, he said don't do it. Well, if he tells us not to do it, it must be possible not to do. The reason it seems like it's not possible is because we, keep, we don't renew our mind with this and we don't act on this. If you don't intentionally and purposefully and, and knowingly, intentionally act on this, your flesh will dominate you. The sin nature of the flesh will dominate you if you don't act on what's true. But if you'll act on it, how do you do it? Consider yourself dead to sin but alive unto God. 
Hallelujah. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. I'm still talking about sacrifices that are acceptable. Now notice verse 13. Verse 13 is a wonderful verse. He said, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Don't present your body. He said, don't present your body as instruments of righteousness, unrighteousness to sin. Now, the, I don't know why I didn't notice this years ago, but, but not too long ago I noticed this, that in verse 13 there's, a, there's a, a note in my New King James and it says that word instruments is the, is, could be translated weapons. Do not present your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. Now, now get this, and present your members as weapons of righteousness to God. I love that. My body is not to be used as a weapon of unrighteousness to sin. My body and your body is to be used as a weapon of righteousness. Glory to God. Weaponized grace. This is weaponized grace. This is weaponized grace. Amen. See, the thing that's wrong with the, with the uh, extreme grace teaching is the extreme grace teaching coddles the flesh. It babies the flesh. It makes excuses for the flesh. And it really, it really treats sin flippantly. It says, oh yeah, sometimes I act like this and sometimes I act like that and we all laugh about it. The only thing, God doesn't laugh. <laughs> when we're talking about the brown package, God doesn't, we laugh about it, but he doesn't. See, if you're not careful you'll make excuses for the flesh. And sometimes preachers do that so that, that the congregation will think they're one of them. So as, to, so as to not be condemning. It's not a, it's not a matter of being condemning or not. It, it's a matter of being in victory. And see, the, if you're not careful, the, 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 the uh, uh, greasy grace message like I said, it, it tolerates. Now, it wants to do right and it believes in doing right and rejoices in right, but when the flesh arises, it kind of treats it casually. It's very casual about it. Well, sometimes I'm this way and sometimes I'm that way and God has me covered. Well, he, he, in a sense, yeah, but that's not what the Bible says. That's not how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be casual about wrong. Go over with me to uh, Titus. Titus, the second chapter. Verse number 11 says, for the grace of God, I hear pages turning, so I'll wait till you get there. This is important. Are you getting anything? 
See, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not happy struggling. I'm not happy bouncing from one package to another package. I'm not happy that way. That's, God, that's not what God wants. God wants us to be, he wants our bodies to be, to be submitted to him and presented to him as a living sacrifice every day. And that doesn't happen if you're casual about it. Now notice what it says about the grace of God. Verse 11, uh, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The, the, the problem with the, with the greasy grace philosophy is, like I said, it's, it tolerates sin because it really never denies it. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. What does that mean? Denying something, the word deny, even in and of itself, the English word and the, and the Greek word that was translated deny, the word deny suggests opposition. Pastor Greg wanted, he asked me the other day if he could borrow something that I have. He wants to use it, I think, this week. And I told him, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll let you borrow it, but I'm, I'm still using it and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you borrow it. Now, what would happen next week if, if, uh, if uh, Angela said to me, uh, have, you, have you given Greg that item? And I, and I would say, I would just say no. Or you could ask, he, she might ask Pastor Greg, did, did your dad give you that item? And he would say, no, he hasn't. He hasn't given it to me. He wouldn't say, yeah, no, dad denied it. He denied me that item. Because deny suggests a struggle and it suggests opposition. It's more than just not having something. It's more than not doing something. It's, it's not allowing something that, that is pressuring you to allow. Denying ungodliness in world war. We have to deny it. And if you're not careful, you can be rocked to sleep in the sense that you never really deny, you, you, you want to live for God and so you have, you have your good days, you have your bad days, and your bad days, you shrug your shoulders. No, we're not talking about shrugging our shoulders. We're talking about deny, grace denies ungodliness. How do you do that? By presenting your body a living sacrifice every day. Holy, acceptable unto God. You do that by considering yourself dead to sin. I, I, there's a lot of guys out there that I've known over the years who are now teaching a very extreme grace message. And every single one of them treats sin as though it's no big deal because you know, you're forgiven and God loves you. Well, that's true. He does love you. And in, in the general sense, we're going to heaven because Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins. But, but we're not to be flippant <clears throat> where sin is concerned. We're, we're supposed to be adamantly against it. 
adamantly in opposition to it. Absolutely denying ungodliness. Denying the, the sin nature of the flesh to take control. Because we, sin nature's been dethroned and I'm gonna enforce it. You're going to enforce it. You're going to enforce that by every day considering yourself to be dead to it. See, if you, if you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, and every day you present your, you intentionally present your body as a living sacrifice and your body as a weapon of righteousness unto God, then you don't get tripped up. I'm not saying you, you never would. I'm not saying you're perfect, but it makes all the difference in the world how you approach life. Amen. It will, it will open avenues of revelation. It'll open avenues of fellowship with God that you've not experienced before. It'll, it'll absolutely open up areas and, and, and avenues or whatever you want to say it uh, of, of, of fellowship with God on a level that condemnation constantly keeps you out of. Condemnation constantly keeps you out of fellowship. Condem condemnation doesn't come from God. The devil uses condemnation to keep you out of fellowship. But when you, but when you live your life considering yourself every day dead to that, when those things, you'll get in the habit when things come up, things and, and the enemy or the flesh, you know, the enemy uses our flesh, you know, he tries to trigger certain things. You'll get in the habit of saying, no, I'm dead to that. Dead to that. I died to that. It's been dethroned. It's not gonna rule me. It's not gonna control me. I'm gonna deny that. And you'll find out it's not all that hard to deny. Once you make up your mind to do it, Make up your mind. What do I mean? Reckon yourself. Consider yourself. Every day, presenting yourself and your body as a living sacrifice. I, I don't think the, the guys with, with the extreme grace, I don't think they've ever really understood what it means to, to actually present themselves to God as a living sacrifice. They're just whoever's dog that'll hunt with them, you know whichever way their flesh goes or if they're in service and they're feeling good, you know, one way. If they're not, they're feeling another way. That's not good a way. That's not good enough. It's not a good way to live. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Sin nature of the flesh was dethroned. You were freed. You were freed. If all those things have been tripping you up, free. You're free from them. Those habits, those attitudes, those things that, that, that uh, Hebrew talk, Hebrews talks about that easily beset you, free from it. Free, you've been freed from it. You've been freed. You've been freed because you're alive from the dead. You've been made alive and when you were made alive, you were raised up in your old man, crucified with Christ, can never come back and the sin nature of the flesh has been subdued. Hallelujah. 
That's the, tr that's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. If you'll believe it and make it a practice to act on it, like I said, it'll open up areas of fellowship for you. It'll open up areas of revelation for you. God's not withholding things from you. It's not that God is withholding. It's when you're, when you're allowing the flesh to dominate you, you cloud your understanding. You cloud things up. And you can't see things, the things of God that are right in front of your face. You can't see them. But when you, when you live a separated life, you'll begin to see some things you haven't seen, but they've been there all the time. It's not like God's rewarding you because you're doing this. No, the reward's been there all the time, but your flesh has been throwing a curtain up, partitioning you off while you struggle and feel condemned and feel all you know, out of sorts and miserable. You're, you're not enjoying the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. 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 Glory, glory, glory. For he has died, who has died has been freed from sin. I love that. Having been set free. I didn't finish this scripture. You guys, I didn't finish the script. Can we finish this? Put the top on this thing. Do not present your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin. You know, that's what you do when you, when you yield <clears throat> to the sin nature and let it control you. You, you make your, your body as, uh, becomes a weapon of unrighteousness. He said, don't do that. Instead, present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments, weapons of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you. You can say it like this. When you do this, then sin will not have dominion over you. When you act on this, sin will no longer lord it over you. Sin will no longer have dominion in your life. It's, it's, the new creation man wasn't created to be dominated by sin. The new creation man was created to dominate over sin and to dominate this flesh, control this flesh. Ooh, glory. That's good news. Hallelujah. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Glory to God. It's good. Amen. The Christian life is not supposed to be conflicted. It's not supposed to be a miserable battle fighting between the, the brown box and the pack and the and the decorated box. 
It's not supposed to be a miserable fight between the two. The Christian life was designed by God to be a joyful celebration of that nice package every day. Every day. Glory to God. And keeping the brown box in the corner. Just keeping it there. Not letting it exalt itself one day and then you get the victim. Keep it in the corner. The Christian life was designed to be that way. Oh, glory to God. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.